Hulsebus is in the house, baby. It is the time for the podcast. Welcome to Hustle is the Hack. Because it is Hustle is the Hack. I hope you're having a great day. My name is uh, Pierre Hulsebus. Who am I? Well, I am Pierre Hulsebus with over 30 years of direct technology sales experience. I am here to help. During the next, uh, well, period of time, 30 minutes to an hour. I can't really nail this down yet. (laughs) We're going to have, we're going to get you help to get your game on, your selling game on. I'm going to help you identify, acquire, and retain the most valuable business asset that you have. What is it? What is it, Pierre? What is it? What is it? Well, let me tell you what it is. It's a customer. That's right. You need a customer. Without them, nothing happens. You just have a really a club of grumpy people. That's what that's what your company really is if you don't have a customer because nothing happens until somebody sells something. It all starts with a customer and sadly, so sadly, it comes to an end when you don't have any more customers. So whoever dies with the most customers really is the win. Now, how do I do this? How does this whole format thing work in the podcast? Well, let me tell you, we take the latest innovation in business. We take proven methods and models, and we add a pinch of 30 years of technology sales experience from the hustler, the chief hustle. And, uh, you know, we mix that all together. I have this patent pending Pierre's magic stack of stuff. And we pull this all together. We put it in the blender and there you go. You can freely read my blog and we spit all this amazing analysis out in the period of 60 minutes. So I'm just going to ask you to sit back, relax and enjoy the next podcast. Number 12. Here we go. Hey guys, I'm always getting asked about my podcast and and how do you get to make it and you know what tools are you using to get online and get your ideas out there? Well, let me tell you, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's by far the easiest way to make a podcast today. Everything you need is all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer and then Hosting, which is kind of actually technically relatively complicated. They do all of that stuff and distribute all that stuff. Guess what? For F-R-E-E, they do all of that. It's uh, Spotify. You'll see your podcast show up on Apple, on Stitcher, all these great platforms. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, did I mention that it's free? So here's how you do it. You go to the Anchor app. Go to the App Store. Just put in Anchor. Or you can go to the anchor.fm and you can get started right away. Thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. (laughs) 
Hey, we're back. We're back. We're back from that uh, little break there. And uh, let's see the special recording button. Hitting the recording button now. I'm trying to work on this. This whole podcast thing has got its uh, ups and downs. <laughs> it's like the uh, somebody asked, uh, you know, I do some work in the elevator business, believe it or not. And when you ask an elevator salesperson how's business, you say, <laughs> it's got its ups and downs. <laughs> uh, that's a bad dad joke. Let's, uh, that's the bad dad joke is what that is. Hey, there you go. Let's just uh, turn that down. Let's just turn that off and uh, let's just keep going. My name is Pierre Holsebus. And who are you? Well, um, hopefully you're a, um, a lifetime learner. You're on your learning journey. And uh, you are here in my uh, podcast studio, Hustle is the Hack. It's my home studio at home where I work and play and uh, spend time with my little puppy, um, Falco, the wonder puppy and, uh, and the family. And, uh, we do all sorts of fun stuff here. Have folks at our, we call it the gathering place. That's our home. And that's where my studio is. And that's where I'm working today at the gathering place home studio number one. I actually have two studios in my home. I have this studio, which I do my daily work in, uh, uh, not only my day job, but my uh, podcast and just other stuff. And then I have a music studio. And maybe someday we'll we'll talk about that, uh, some of the cool music fun stuff that I like to do. Well, um, you know, we were, uh, and so who are you? Well, um, hopefully you're kind of new to sales. You're a lifetime learner. Maybe you're new to sales or you're trying to get better at selling or you're, you know, been a veteran of sales and you're just looking to pick up some tips and tricks. And uh, that's what this is all about. We're really here to kind of um, give you my thoughts and talk about tips and tricks and things like that that are out there. And knowing that uh, there's not a um, shortcut to any of this, like to be successful in this business and pretty much anything that you do in life, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And a lot of people like, just like a lot of people think they're funny. uh, A lot of people think that, that they can sell. Anybody can sell. It's just, you just get out there and do more dials. You go out there and call uh, more people. It's a numbers game, you know, just uh, go out and follow this script and uh, you know, the magic is going to happen. You just need to know the 15 closing techniques. And when you follow my magic formula, then, uh, you know, you will be successful at selling. And it, it doesn't work like that. There is no magic formula. I'm going to tell you from 30 years of doing this, there is no magic formula. The magic formula is you work your butt off. You become an expert in a certain area. You uh, grow your business uh, through some struggle and you Uh, learn from your mistakes and you move forward. And that kind of consistency, that is the hustle. That is the grind that goes with this business. You have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to love it. You have to love your customers and you have to want to keep growing at how you're doing in that. And that is the, the secret to this there. So if you're new in sales and you're looking, you hope like, Hey, I'm going to listen to Pierre and then, uh, you know, I'm going to pick up four things and there I'm going to be instantly productive. Nope, not going to work. Not going to work. So I'm going to tell you that right up front. So what it is, is, you know, you kind of have to work through this, um, this process. It's a bit of a process of learning, of learning. 
And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in the stack of stuff, uh, what we call the um, Kroenig-Dunning effect. And uh, we'll come back to that because that's a really interesting thing for all salespeople to know about their customers. And uh, I've got some great stories to tell you about that. But what are we going to do first? What's our first thing that we're going to do today? Pierre, what's the first thing? We're going to sprinkle some magic pixie dust and we are going to talk about the seven sales productivity tips for 2001. And uh, I'm going to give you seven awesome tips today, 7.3 tips on what, uh, as a salesperson, you're going to want to do uh, from time to time and uh, kind of what is your success. And we're getting into the last quarter of the year. So maybe this will be our, our sales productivity tips for 2022. Okay, but uh, this comes from our friends over at Customer Think. If you're not uh, familiar with that particular blog slash um, support group, it's been around for a long time. Actually, it's been around for close to 20 years, believe it or not. And uh, Customer Think is a collective of sales uh, coaching and professionals out there doing the work and they share uh, different things that work and don't work and what sucks and what doesn't suck. So it's been been around for a long time. And uh, so I've been a long time, uh, you know, kind of uh, consumer and uh, actually know a bunch of the folks that are out there on that site. So anyways, so I'll, I'll, there's the link in the show notes for this. Anyways, so the first tip of this one is focus on goals that matter. So goals that matter, you know, one of the first mistakes sales team makes uh, always is they want to create goals that are way beyond their reach. And the whole thing, and, and you'll hear it, I use it all the time. I say, we got to land some planes. You know, you, you've got all these irons in the fire. We need to focus and and, and close. And uh, what are the things that we can close? What are the things that are goals that we can achieve? So it's great to have good long-term goals, and it's good to have, you know, midterm goals and all this. But you need to focus on goals also that matter, that matter. Uh, so, you know, who is the customer? Who is evaluating you at the end of the year? What are those measures? And then once you have that as a focus, you're able to, to then build plans around those goals that matter. Uh, this is an ideal way for salespeople to act on the current prospective customer. Um, success often depends on how well you focus on your energies on closing a deal and uh, not just continuing uh, to go back at it. If it's closable, is it not closable? I use the image all the time and it's on my list of best books to read. The salesperson's book, uh, one of the biggest ones you want to read is Moby Dick. If you haven't read it, you got to read it. It's uh, it's a kind of a difficult book to read, actually, because it's from the 1800s. And it's one of the first novels in the United States, actually. Uh, but it tells the story uh, of a wayward young man who uh, works to seek his fortune hunting whales in the great uh, whale hunts that uh, occurred in the great whaling cities uh, on the East Coast, uh, just north of Boston. Out of that uh, went these giant ships, and they would go and they would hunt down the mighty humpback whales and the sperm whales and uh, in the Atlantic Ocean, and they would bring them back and they would um, boil them down for the oil, the ambergris, and uh, the oil that came out of uh, a whale was used to, to light people's homes back then. This was before the discovery of oil, as we know, that comes out of the ground. And so there was a big demand globally for this. Anyways, 
So the fella goes uh, to, to short, make a short, uh, long story short. He goes on the boat and uh, he has this great captain, Captain Ahab, and he's got his one leg and he's this kind of very stern uh, man and very difficult to work with. He's uh, yelling at his people all the time and he's super religious and he's very focused on not just killing whales and, and harvesting them, but he's got one whale, the mighty Moby Dick, which is a whale, one whale uh, that's out there. And that one whale um, ends up becoming an obsession for this man and all the way to the end where he, um, and I'm going to spoil the ending for you, he ends up uh, getting the whale. He, he spears the whale, but his ship um, tips over, guys die, he dies, and um, the the hero, the the author, the let's say the um, observer that's in the book, you know, he 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 um, writes out the story, you know, basically of of surviving this um, this this tale. And so often, what happens with salespeople is we get something in our mind that we can close this deal, and this customer needs it, and we just can't get past that, and we get so driven. Uh, often by succeeding in this one thing that we forget all the other stuff that we we can work on and close. And so this is focusing on goals that matter is really helpful to organize our um, sessions and our time so that um, we can um, share our experience from each other and help better qualify deals often. And so that's why focusing on goals or focusing on the customer's that matter and reproducing that is so helpful as opposed to searching for some great white whale that is going to save us all in this one time uh, because we got this big deal cooking and that's our energies go into that and that ends up being a total distraction over the ones that we can win. So this is why, you know, helping people stay focused on the goals that matter. What can we close? And um, it's good to have big long-term goals and that that big whale, but don't let it be your destruction because it it happens all the time. We've got complete companies that have fallen under uh, the spell of this and um, totally, you know, spent all of their energy and resources following after things that you that don't matter. Basically, following after things that don't matter. And what matters in selling? What matters? Um, you know, closing business is what matters. If you're in sales and you're not closing business, you don't got a job. If you're not, as I saying, if you don't have customers coming in the door, choosing your product, you're out of business. Like that's an important part of the whole situation. And uh, we're playing to close. We're just not playing at sales to because we enjoy the interaction with people or we want to inspire them or we we want people to understand our product. Those are marketing things. Those are other things. As a salesperson, we're measured primarily on one thing, which is closing business. And if we're not doing that and getting new customers in the door, then we're focusing on things that don't matter. So, you know, you can work on your presentation all day, but if it doesn't help you close a customer, and your presentation is no good. You know, you, the the ultimate measure is getting that uh, some of this, some of this stuff that we're talking about, some of this green, this green, you know, this is what I'm talking about. Some PDPs, some pictures of dead presidents. You want some of those, some, some Madison, some Jefferson, some Benjamins. I got some here, some Benjamin, Benjamin Harrison. That's a guy right there. You want to have one of those. That's what you need when you're selling. You, you need to have somebody give you these things. The more of these that you get, the better it is for your company. Because this is what, at the end of the day, pays your house note. This is what pays the bills. This is how 
your company pays its taxes and keeps the light on. You get these things uh, when you're doing a good job. This is what happens when you're doing work and uh, that is um, focused on things that matter. So it's not that we need to be money hungry. I'm not greedy, but I have a value that, uh, <laughs> that in my job, I am measured often by this measure getting customers. If I don't get customers, then we don't have a job. We don't have a business. All right. That should be the central focus of any business endeavor here. All right. Uh, Number two on the list uh, as a great tip for productivity. Um, So one, I'm not uh, paying attention to things that don't matter. Next is I'm using automation to save time. The most valuable thing we always have is time, right? That's the big thing. Studies show that sales representatives spend about 20% of their time writing emails, right? Writing emails. Let's just use that as an example. Spending time writing emails reduces my energy. I don't like writing emails. I make uh, spelling mistakes at emails. And um, sales executives use this, um, you know, often in the selling process. So, you know, get good at writing, right? That's a good thing. But, you know, you can automate a lot of that process in terms of follow-up and your whole sales process that you have around emails of follow-ups and like intros and things on that order by just using automation tools. And you don't need something super sophisticated to do this. You can do mass emailings out of Gmail. Um, So this isn't stuff that requires a huge investment. If you have a small business or a nonprofit, these are the kind of tools that really, really help. You can start email campaigns to get visitors to your sales site. Uh, Prospects can receive emails when they take actions like filling out an online form or something on that order. Examples of emails include like welcome emails, thank you emails, follow-up emails. I have tons of emails that I template related to my job that asks technical questions. So I have lots of technical questions that come in all the time. How do I install this? Where's the resource for this and that? I have templates. I keep them in in my OneNote all the time. I put them in Outlook. And so I can just push the magic button and it you know, formats and attaches an email and and pushes the button. So just look at using automation. That's just one thing that probably saves me two hours a week of trying to have to come up with a well-crafted email that, um, um, you know, follows up on some technical stuff for me having to go, oh, that's right. Let me remember where that is and go find it and get it. Eh, I try to use um, uh, automation to help save my time. And uh, that just gives me more time in front of customers and helping them. Uh, Number three on the list is the biggest one, I think, for me, because this is my daily role, is invest in training. Uh, Really, it's an essential aspect of productivity is for salespeople to have a deep product knowledge an understanding of the product and industry that they're serving, uh, understand the uh, uh, climate that they're selling into, the mega trends in the industry, all of these things help you as a salesperson create trust with a customer. Not that you have to be knowing more than them all the time or like showing your knowledge by um, spitting out a bunch of facts. That's not what I'm saying. That's your style. 
what it comes comes to knowing the stuff so that you can carry on a significant business conversation and add value to that conversation. That's how you engage with a customer and with a prospect. And so if I am out there talking about real estate in the city that I'm selling stuff in, guess what I what I can bring to the table is my local knowledge. I know, you know, when somebody moves in where the schools are, I can give them access to all this information that they wouldn't necessarily have because I have invested time in building up my knowledge about this one area. If I'm selling um, cold steel into a boat manufacturer engine uh, company that makes boat engines, I need to know about the marine industry. I need to know about the industry of steel and what the transportation is, what the supply chain challenges are, what's the next big wave. So these are all part of um, kind of selling solutions. You want to be able to teach and enable as part of that process that helps you uh, become a valuable resource for that customer and being able to add value. And so it's all about, you know, you adding value all the time throughout that entire process. So um, it's not just like uh, investing in training, like, oh, here's my sales methodology, or now I know I took the Tommy Hopkins 47 close techniques, like on how to be better at selling. That is good. That's why you're on this podcast, and I appreciate that. So definitely invest in sales training, but also invest in industry training. Like, so for many years, I was in the sales of computers, actual hardware, computer hardware, and systems and networking integration hardware. And uh, so what did I do? Uh, I invested. My company was teeny tiny. Um, we had like five other people on at the company that were in sales. I was the sales manager. I would take my guys. We would go to Chicago. We should go Chicago for the day. I personally paid for this. My company was so cheap, they wouldn't pay for this. I paid for, I got the guys in the car, we went and got pizza, and uh, we went down. Um, I figured out ways to get us free tickets or, or get uh, sponsored tickets to go and visit the Computer Dealer Expo. Like, and so this is an industry trade show. And so we, I'd spent, I did this for years and years. I would go to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas when I was in the retail business. So my company didn't pay for that. I invested that money myself in training. I do the same thing. I'm probably going to go um, to a conference this winter in a foreign country. The company I work for is not going to pay for that because they don't want us traveling. I, though, on the other hand, personally want to go and interact with um, that uh, cadre of folks over in Europe. So I'm probably just going to write my own ticket, take vacation days, and go on that trip. That's the kind of investment that you're willing to do. Not everybody's willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. And I challenge you as a salesperson, that is your career. That is your skill set. You get to keep it when you leave. I get to keep that knowledge and experience when I leave. So I don't expect my company always to invest in that. It's I'm investing in me, in my value, in my, my knowledge base. And um, in the world of complex selling and solution selling, the more you know, I can now teach and take control of a sale because I have a better insight than anybody in the room around what is the trend of the industry. I have credibility now because I've attended their industry trade shows. I go to other trade shows. I go to my customers' trade shows. I've been to 
uh, one of my big customers out of Milwaukee that does um, IoT devices and automation technology. Um, they're a very well-known company, and they have their own automation fair. I go to that every year. I try to go. I do it online. I'll take days off, or I'll just fly to Atlanta or Milwaukee or Chicago, wherever they're going to put it on. It's an easy investment to make. It's a no-brainer. Those few hundred dollars that's going to cost me to get on a plane and a cheap hotel and you know go and and learn and be in a different environment is well worth the investment. It it always pays back. And I one of the things that every week I'm telling you every day I deal with this because I work for a giant corporation. Um, it's all often about the corporate. You know, the head shed always wants to think about well, this costs a lot of money to do this. It's like. Well, yeah, it does cost a lot of money to do that, without a doubt. There's no, there's no arguing that. You're, uh, you're stating facts. You know, spending money on training and investing in us is not cheap, okay? But we don't sell a cheap product. You know, it's not cheap for our customers. It's valuable. And if we, you know, it's like the old adage, if I don't, it's, you know, like, uh, I, we used to say in when I was in doing radio uh, advertising, you know, not investing in advertising to save money is like not winding a clock to save time. So it's the same thing. Not not spending money on training is like not winding a clock to save time. It seems like you know a waste of energy, but it's not. If I don't wind it, my clock is done with. And so if you're in the high-tech business or in the low-tech business, you better figure this out pretty quickly because there's other people in the room that are going to know more than you do. And uh, you better be able to kind of run with the big dogs, so to speak, depending on you know kind of the industry that you're in. Be prepared. And so this is how you do it. So um, training ourselves, training our salespeople is is the way to go. I, again, this is like, I don't have a sense of entitlement that my, my business always had to do that, you know, for me now, because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't going to, I wasn't willing to wait. I'm very impatient. <laughs> now, when I'm in charge, uh, you know, I'm all about paying and getting that stuff out there, but I'm telling you something, there is something about it when you don't have, when the company doesn't pay you, it's more dear to you and you know, you value it more. And so maybe that's why I value this so highly because I personally spent thousands and thousands of dollars, a lot of credit cards, <laughs> you know, when I'm on a hundred percent commission, not making money and I'm going to go to a trade show. That's like a hard thing. When I was a young person, I had kids. We lived in a trailer. I, I wasn't wealthy. I didn't have a lot of money back then to do this stuff, but I was willing to make the investment. And let me tell you, it paid off for me. So that stuff is really dear to me that that was worth my time energy and effort to do. And um, I kind of um, shake my fist at a company that's not willing to step up to the plate and invest in training in their people. It's the stupidest thing you'd ever do. It will always return um, to uh, to you uh, many fold uh, when you do it well. So anyways, that's uh, tip number three. So here we go. Let's go uh, to tip Number four. Number four is optimizing. Let's do that to wave the magic wand over top of the tips is, uh, you know, optimize your sales prospecting. 
Um, more than 40% of salespeople say that prospecting is the most challenging part of the sales process. And it's probably the truth. That's probably true. I would say that that some people really love it. Some people do not like it. Prospecting is difficult. I will totally admit it that that is very hard to do. And uh, depending on uh, where you're at in the company and the organization that you're in, some organizations have just dedicated folks that do prospecting, that go out there and work on kind of generating leads and follow up on leads and working to create interest um, through significant conversations with folks. And that is not an easy thing to do. Um, it is not. It's not. It can be demoralizing at times uh, because what what goes on behind the scenes is you know you're getting rejections and you're getting people that you know hey I'm not interested. And uh, so, you know, we take that personally if you're energetic and, um, you know, you take your business personally, you you know, you have a tendency sometimes to feel down about it. And so it's not uh, that's a common reaction and it's okay to have that reaction. It's okay to because I'm taking it personally. I take my work uh, personally. So criticism of it kind of hurts sometimes. And when people reject us, you know, you just want to kind of take that to heart and you feel it's a rejection of you. But don't do that. Don't take it uh, too heavily. It's not a rejection of you personally. It's a rejection. Maybe it's not the right time and the right place. It's maybe the not right value. Like they showed up at a trade show, but they were just kicking the tires or they just left their job and they were just doing what I was just talking about, uh, just investing in training and learning. So people have different reasons why they show up on your prospect list. And really, you're trying to find that common ground. And are they, is there interest? Are we getting some knowing and some liking? And is there interest? And if there's not, you know, move on and and don't take it to to heart too much. You know, Um, it's critical to understand that your customers have, uh, you know, have common ground with you. Um, They want to learn about why some customers choose the products and service over those that that choose a competitor. They want to know why you. And that's one of the biggest reasons when you start doing your prospecting and optimizing the prospecting process. It really is understanding why people buy your stuff. It's not trying to overcome objections and come up with a whole bunch of reasons why you're better because it's really, or excuse me, it's not, it's not about, well, I'll say this. In some ways, it is about knowing why you are better. What is the reason, what are the unique selling propositions that your organization has, and what does successful customers, why do they pick you over a competitor? You need to be ready for that kind of conversation to whatever degree you feel comfortable, you know, you know if you if you need to bash your com- uh, competition, uh, I I'm not one to do that. I don't feel it's necessary to do that. It's good to have that understanding though of, you know, what the connection is between successful customers and you, and why they chose you over your competitors. That's important. You can have a good understanding of that by talking to your customers, and what they found helpful. What is it about your product that's unique? You can create um, a personal, uh, a persona, an ideal prospective customer and understand what their interests and preferences are. And so you're not spending your time working on uh, talking to people that don't fit that ideal persona. That is the best method. And it's tr- it's been proven time and time again um, 
early on, I and I use this phrase all the time, know what your funny shaped door is. There's a door that every customer walks through and your company or your service or your organization has a unique selling proposition, a unique funny shaped door. And you need to know what those customers look like that fit through that funny shaped door. Not everybody's gonna be your customer. You know, if you sell Cadillac cars, um, and, uh, you, you know, I'm not going to be out there prospect and I and someone drives up in a, you know, a Chevy a pickup truck and I'm the guy selling the, um, you know, the fancy Cadillac cars. There might not be an exact fit for that person. And I'm going to want to qualify early on in that prospective conversation. You know, is this your primary car? I love this car. You're going to figure out really quickly if this person fits that unique selling proposition. My funny shaped door. Do they fit it psychographically? Do they fit it economically? Those are the things that I'm going to want to know when I'm doing my prospecting stuff. So I can have a nice conversation. I've got a couple of questions that I'm asking during that intro part of the conversation. And then I'm, I'm making a judgment. And I am making a judgment as, is this a conversation I need to continue or do I need to move on? Really successful salespeople at every level prospect well. That is that is the trick. That is that if there is a hack, if there is one thing that you can do well, it is disqualifying unqualified customers so they don't waste your time and they and you're not pitching something that they're going to be upset at later on. You want to retain them. So you don't want to just, you know, use your awesome selling mojo powers to convince somebody to buy something that they're not going to like in two weeks because they need, you know, we need to keep those customers. We've talked about retention. So create a prospective persona. What does that customer look like? What is my most ideal customer? And that's what I'm looking for. I'm not buying a list and going down the phone book and going, well, everybody needs a cell phone, so I'm going to go out and start selling cell phones. And so, so that's how I used to do cell phones. So, you know, that was what my company did early on. Well, everybody need everybody that has, you know, more than five cars in their company needs a cell phone. And uh, so that's who you're going to do. You just any, any fleet, you just go out there and do it. And you'd find a bunch of them are already, you know, half of them are that have fleets already have radios that are way more reliable than the cell phones that we were selling back in the day. And so like I needed to find them that were in specific locales and, you know, to be successful, you, you don't talk to companies that are already have a giant fleet that already have, have Motorola radios in there that they're, uh, that wasn't the most ideal customer early on in the cell phone game. So it's very interesting, very interesting, but we need to um, optimize our sales prospecting. All right, we're coming down to the last couple here. Number five is spare time to plan for the next day. And um, I I do this. I don't do it uh, day by day. I plan the week. And so a lot of times you'll find me, I will find myself Sunday night after church, get my coffee. I go downstairs a lot in my um studio downstairs like I was mentioning play music I kind of have quiet time for myself and I find that time to be very reflective and help me kind of kind of get in the mindset of what is going on next uh, for the next day I also spare uh, time in the morning I'm very good in the morning actually right when I get up 
um, before I come into my office to really deeply consider what is happening. So I'll, I'll listen to news or listen to music, have my cup of coffee sometimes, sit at the table, literally doing nothing. And if you're sitting and watching me, you're like, what is he doing? He's just boring sitting there by himself. But I'm a thinker. I sit and think through, the, through all of this, and then I take the action. So a lot of it sits up in my head. Uh, uh, but however you do it, whatever makes you, <laughs> whatever you find, and sometimes when you're new, in this game, planning becomes a big deal, right? So, you know, you try different methods and you're going to try all different kinds of methods until you f- you find what gives you the most energy, what works for you and what works for the meth- the way that your brain thinks and the way that your timing and market works. So if that's a day-by-day plan of having something really um, detailed out, I, I don't have that. My work blocks are usually half days. So I plan by half days and only put like three things on my schedule that I got to get done that day. Everything else sits on a totally different list. And so that's how I, that's the way that I work. I try to plan and I'm weeks out usually on my schedule because I'm doing trainings and things like that. I'm scheduling out into March now. So entire weeks are blocked off in March now for me. Um, Anyway, so everybody does that a little differently, right? Okay, what's the next one? This gets a little into automation and it's a six and seven, which is be ready with relevant collateral. So uh, sales productivity, a lot of times it's really about being relevant and ready. I would say prospecting is being relevant and ready. And um, so you show up with the right content to talk about, say, yeah, this is, you know, kind of this is how the industry is. And here's a case study and, um, you know, here's a white paper and all this kind of stuff. You want to be ready with that stuff, either in templates and templatize as much of this as possible so you can really quickly connect to people. And a lot of studies have been done on this. Like if you go to a trade show back in the day and you would put your business card in the the box and then somebody you would say, please follow up with me. And then um, then you give that list as a prospect out to the sales team for people to follow up. You can count by the day how badly the follow-up is done on those. And if it's not done within a certain amount of time, like those have a like a limited life in them. So when you have somebody and you're engaging with them on the phone or you're engaging them through an email conversation or through a chat session or through social media, however you're engaging with your prospect, be ready with that relevant collateral. As soon as they ask the question, bam, here it is. Here is the info you are asking for. And what that does is that builds trust is what it comes down to. You are showing that person that when you're hearing them, they're asking for this, you're ready to go. If you're doing a good job and you're in your industry and you have already who those ideal customers are, you already know what they're going to ask. Usually if you're doing a good job, they're going to ask for that case study or that reference account or, you know, how people have perceived your product or compare your product with another uh, organization or another company. So the right way to be an efficient sales professional is really to be prepared in advance. I've listened to many, many lawyers talk about this. And actually, this is one of the biggest keys to uh, being a good trial lawyer, actually, is you have all the motions that you could file depending on the path that that takes in the courtroom. I have 
I have all these filings already ready to go, and I'm going to pull them out at the right time. And it's they've already gamed this out like a chess player four or five moves ahead of time. And if you're doing a good job in this, you can do this same thing. You know when somebody has this particular objection or a question about something, you can already know the play basically for that. So, And you can really templatize as much as possible Create those two or three email templates for different types of prospective customers that um, save the time to consume on each sales call so you can just create uh, really a unique sales script for that customer. So you've got something to start with and you can kind of then go down the road of, okay, they're a small version of my ideal customer. They're a big version of my ideal customer. They're a, they're a version of my my ideal customer that has international issues. And so I need to, do I do multi-language or, you know, they're a small company. So what's our small business kind of solution for them? So this way, if you have this templatized, then you can go down those different scripts and you can organize those templates and store them in, you know, OneNote and stuff like that. It's not that difficult to manage organizing that kind of stuff. So I'm not too worried about the organizing part. It's that you have these maybe different call scripts that are ready or sales scripts or what I'm in the software business. We call sales plays basically that you can execute on the more you know. So the more I show up to that um that call and I learn about the customer through kind of our discovery and interaction with them. Now I know what to execute after that. So I've got three or four different plays um, that I can execute. So sales templates can really help you do wonders to sales productivity and improve the outcomes because it lets you kind of refine the process over time. And uh, so anywho, so that's that for now. That is my seven tips for sales productivity. All right. So with that said, we're going to take a break right now and we're going to come right back after this message. And we are going to get into the stack of stuff for this week. I hope you're having a great day. Hey, welcome back. It's Hustle is a Hack. My name, well, my name is Pierre Hulsebus, and I'm here. Hustleisahack.com. That's what it is all about today. And we are in the stack of stuff. We're in the stack of stuff. It's so exciting. This is the best part of the show. It's the best, coolest, funnest part. Well, at least I think it is. What do I know? Just run this show. I don't know. <sighs> Produce it. Producer. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, continue down our uh, journey today. And as we talk about the stack of stuff, now, what is the stack of stuff? Again, that stack of stuff is, um, it's really what is happening. That's the latest innovation in business. And what I like to do is take these kind of methods and models that are happening and kind of give my perspective on these 
Now, and there's a reason why, because this is a pattern. This is a methodology that I've invented for myself because um, sometimes I found I uh, could read. I'm a voracious reader, um, and I would accept change slowly but surely. And uh, But sometimes things happen really quickly in the economy, and big megatrends come, and I miss them. And uh, so what I like to do is kind of reflect on these um, through this methodology. So I keep track of stuff over the week as I see them. Oh, I'm going to follow up on that article. There's different ways to do this. There's applications called Pocket. I use a different one. Um, I use one that allows me to basically curate a list of of um, websites and data that I find. It's called Wakelet. And so I use Wakelet because uh, it allows me to share this out to everybody. But my Wakelet feed for Hustle is the Hack is out there. And so, uh, you know, I this is stuff that I'm picking up all the time. And then I like to reflect upon that about what are these megatrends and then kind of say, okay, this is a point of action that I need to take. Something significant is happening and I need to consume that and I need to prepare for change. So um, that's kind of what I'm doing. And uh, so this I'm just sharing with you my mindset here. And uh, this has worked for me as a methodology. So the stack of stuff is going to start off today with Zillow. That's right. Zillow right now is, uh, well, <laughs> I would say probably had the worst week that uh, they could have, they've ever had. Uh, with, uh, without a doubt, Zillow is getting out of the home buying business. Now, last episode, we talked about how Zillow and these different companies were getting into that market. And now guess what? They are reducing their staff by 25% and uh, their quarterly earnings report, they said they're writing down a half a billion dollars, $540 million to get out of this business. And, uh, they're shutting down their what they call Zillow Offers, which is the company that uh, they have, or they're part of the company that they have that generates the, um, you know, the it generates the generates these buys, these offers, basically. And uh, so they they said that they're getting out of this business, and um, they were halting purchases, but we, they didn't really know. And they just announced this week that they're getting out of the business. But they there's, have a lot of reasons behind that. They're giving all the reasons. I'm not going to go into all the reasons, but the bottom line for the reason is uh, they bought high. Um, so, you know, when you're making investments, you want to buy low and sell high. Um, they decided to get all in in this market when it was the, the market was on fire this summer. And so um, they're in buying uh, properties probably 20 plus above the market value. And as they are competing with um, other buyers in the market, guess what's happening? They're raising the price on themselves, basically. So they're creating more demand in a market that was already small. And so they actually added to the inflation of prices. And so their model that they had didn't account for this in their data model, um, you know, basically led them astray, if you will. Uh, so it was just strategically the wrong move at the wrong time. Uh, maybe the right move at the wrong time might be another way to think about it. It's not that bad of an idea, but there's really two, there's really one thing without knowing all the things about the details. One of the things that they blame this on, or kind of not blame, but said they have supply chain and distribution and labor shortages, which has really caused them to get a backlog on the homes it was renovating and preparing for sale. 
And this was um, definitely confirmed by many different people that have um, that we've heard from that have taken the Zillow offers and then just watch their house that they sold Zillow sit there and not get fixed and not get refurbed and flipped. It sat there. And so Zillow, what they were trying to do is kind of kind of create an Uber and a marketplace for contractors to come in and, you know, like refurb these houses. Well, they didn't execute on that well. So it's one thing to have a great idea and the revenue and the market, but you have one other kind of compartment that you have to do. We talked about this earlier of having the play. You have to have the actual dynamics of the market considered. You have to kind of like, how are we going to execute on this? Like, do I have the resources to sustain execution on this plan? So the data gives me all the plan on where to go. Um, I've got a ready market. I've got all the information. I'm ready to take action. And yet we haven't uh, followed through and taken care of all the details. They didn't secure the labor that they needed up front to go and buy 3,000 houses. I mean, flipping houses is not that easy. Like you have to have, you know, people come into the place and repaint it and rip the carpet up and all of that. You have to have that, those relationships already in markets. You can't just go, hey, we're Zillow, show up. Hey, um, Mr. Carpet Guy, we're going to have you come work for us. It's like, um, I'm already busy. I don't have enough. And it points out a couple of things. One is um, a shortage in labor and the demand for for um, skilled trades. There's not enough tradespeople. We know that. In the hottest markets in the country that they went after, they didn't have this labor um, secured. So that was probably their biggest mistake, quite frankly. And it cost 2,000 people their job. And it cost the shareholders of that company a half a billion dollars. So Big mistake. I have to put my hat off, though, and I'm going to give them the Pierre Hulsaba salute here. Salute, um, just like they do at, uh, you know, on uh, Hee Haw. I'm going to give them the salute for, you know, giving it a college try. Holy moly. Um, they're, you know, it's good to take a big bet every once in a while. They are not out of business. So, um, you know, you take risk and you got to love folks that take risks. Um, there's a great, um, you know, a lot of people can be critical. All the shareholders hate these stories. But as an outside observer, I love this kind of stuff. I love to see companies take risk. And uh, sometimes it doesn't pay off. And this one didn't pay off at the right time. Who knows? They may come back. They have to build that NASDAQ up again and maybe they'll be back. Uh, sometimes when you're the first innovator in something, the first guy to try it, you know, you basically make a market for somebody else. And, uh, you know, so sometimes it doesn't pay to be first in the market to be the innovator, the first one. Sometimes you let somebody else try and then you learn from their mistakes. And there's plenty of other companies with lots of capital out there looking at ways to do the same thing. So who knows? Maybe Keller Williams will step into the plate or some other company will do the same thing. But data-driven decision-making is great, but you have to be able to execute on that down at the tactical level. You have to be able to have follow-through with all the details. So, uh, you know, so that's an important component of this, having all the data and insight and the gumption and the capital. But if you can't execute, bad for you guys. Sorry about that. All right. Number two on the list today. We go through three. That is our, that is our, our, as is our want, as they say. So number three on the list is a, um, why are people leaving their jobs? Pierre, this, this is a question, you know, it's a bit of an enigma, isn't it? 
Um, I'm seeing this happen all over town. I, I live in West Michigan. It's one of the highest, uh, the lowest unemployment markets in the country right now. It's like 2%. It's pretty much full employment. And um, there's so many job openings. Um, retail locations are shutting down because they can't get enough people to come in and, and you know, work in the restaurants anymore. And uh, so there's a, a lot of competition for the market. And, and we've talked about this pretty consistently. Um, so but a big question is why? Why is this happening? Why are people leaving their jobs? And surprisingly, the answer is very clear. Um, this has been researched many times, a lot of times, actually, over and over again in the market. A lot of people have looked at this. There's been lots of surveys that, that have been done on why people leave their jobs. And post-COVID, this isn't, the answers aren't any different. It's pretty much the same reason every single time. Recently, a study was conducted by a, uh, a polling agency called Predictive Index, and uh, Predictive Index uh, talked to thousands, thousands of people and found that half of them have thought about changing their careers in the past month. 63% of those people with bad managers are thinking of leaving in the next year. So, um, so that's, you know, if you have a bad manager, you know, it's bad. It's bad. It's a big part of the problem. The single biggest decision you ever make in your job is who your manager is going to be. It's that relationship. If you're in sales, it's who's your sales manager? Who's the sales director? How are they going to measure and manage you? How are they going to coach you? What is that relationship like? We've seen this time and time again in sports teams. It's very much like sports. If that teacher, that coach above you, the person that evaluates you of whether you're willing to be put in or not, they're the ones helping make the decisions about what deals you work on and your career you know, uh, that uh, what you're going to win and what you're not going to win, they're part of that whole process. They help maintain your positive attitude every day that you can win and you can come in and you can close business. And they're willing to work with you to help remove barriers that you found along the way. Now, if that relationship sucks, if that manager is bad and they just berate you or they just tell you how awful you are, you're not going to want to work there. You're not going to want to work there. You're going to want to leave. And so it's the same thing in the broad labor market that the biggest single decision is who is your manager. Uh, when you name the wrong manager, um, nothing's going to fix that. Nothing's going to fix that. You can just like hope and pray that um, that person gets kicked out of that position. But unfortunately, that's uh, you, know, you don't want to bet your career on that. So if you got a bad manager, you sometimes you have to kind of step back and go reevaluate, you know, can I make a lateral move? Can I do something else? Because um, post-pandemic organizations uh, continue to think of many reasons to retain their workers more than, but more than pay, more than perks, more than all those flexible hours that we've gotten over COVID, uh, but many of them have not considered the biggest impact that a manager has on their employees. And so, um, and you see this time and time again, people walk into the same literal exact job across the street from each other. And the only difference between the job uh, isn't pay, it's the work culture and the work environment and what your manager does. Let's say if I'm going into medical billing, I'm going to be a medical billing specialist and I want to work for a doctor's office and I have a surgeon on one side of the street and I have a dentist on the other side of the street and I'm going to be the medical billing person for that, for that office. The office manager is going to be my boss. 
from one in one office, that office manager could be, hey, um, we we do not tolerate gossip here in this office. Um, if you have any problems, I got your back. I am here to help remove barriers and help. To, I got your back. You are a valued employee of mine. If you um, have any questions or if you have any, you know, you need to leave early to drop the kids off or something like that, or you're not feeling well, you call me, we'll take care of you. That's what it's all about here. It's all about our staff. And that's the thing that she, you know, rises and falls is to to manage, let's say, her staff or his staff if they're the staff manager. Now you go across the street to the surgeon's office and uh, all of the all of the nurses are bickering one with another. There's gossip um, that happens between the the, the employees. Um, rules aren't evenly applied. The people have favorites. Uh, all these different things. The work culture sucks, basically. Now, where are you going to do? What are you going to do as an employee? You're going to leave the sucky place and go try to find a job at the nice place. The sucky place, they could offer you an improved wage, but you're not going to be happy anyways. And so people vote with their feet. And nothing right now is showing me this more uh, than, uh, and I'm not a, uh, I want to preface this line of discussion that I'm going to get into here. <laughs> I am not an anti-vaxxer at all, all right? I've had the vaccine. I traveled to Africa this summer. I, in one day, took six different vaccines. So I am not anti. i got to get vaccine for yellow fever and hepatitis and all this stuff. I am not an anti-vaxxer at all. But I do believe that um, there are some people that uh, have already had COVID. They don't want to go through that pain and suffering again. And so they believe what we all learned as kids uh, when we got chicken pox. You get chicken pox, you don't get chicken pox again. And uh, that's kind of the way it is with COVID. You get COVID, you're not going to get it again because you already had it once. And uh, so that's why uh, natural immunity is big. And so you got a lot of people that know this and they don't want to go through the risk again. And so I appreciate that. I can say, great, good for you. You make your choice, you know, uh, to <laughs> to that. That's fine. Now, however you fall on this, um, you know, topic isn't really that important for this conversation, right? Um, I want to point out one of the worst bosses right now, I, and you're going to find out one thing that Pierre does not like is big government. I am so anti-big government. And uh, so big government uh, because basically you have a lot of people running the show in big government that are in the executive position that have never done anything in their own lives. They don't know how to lead people or be bosses. They know how to dictate to people what they think is the best thing for them. And it's all about the politician or all about you know their components and what they're trying to do. And we've, we saw this during COVID at its worst. We saw the, I, we, I think every one of us remember the, um, the county um, commissioner over in like Connecticut somewhere that was trying to regulate how far people stood when they went to play tennis. And uh, she had this press conference and it got a little funny because she was talking about ball handling and, um, you know, what balls you should be touching and what balls you should not be touching because of COVID. And, uh, you know, she's literally out there regulating um, how uh, athletes and and recreational people would, would play tennis. Like that's 
the most ridiculous, you know, kind of thing I've ever heard. Like people know, okay, we we know we're managing our own risk. Lighten up, lady. What do you have to do with my stupid tennis game? Uh, and so, what? So, so we've seen this. I, I lived in Michigan. We we had a governor that did very similar kind of stupid things, very double standard ish, where she would. Um, have different standards for where she lived, of course. So, uh, but the rest of us, we all had to, you know, follow her dictates and the power that the government has just, you know, as they say, power corrupts anyway. So COVID did this. And then right now, the guy that is the worst offender for me, uh, in terms of big government and really sucking as being a manager for his employees is the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio. Bill de Blasio right now is uh, basically telling, um, you know, his uh, first frontline, um, you know, first responders, uh, you must follow exactly what I said or I'm going to fire you. Now, I'm not going to play the press conference. You have got to. Um, I put the link in here. You've got to see this. It's crazy um, what he's talking about. But, you know, here's some numbers. The New York Fire Department and the employees of the fire department is about 25% of them are not vaccinated right now. Okay, let that sink in. 25% of the city workers that are associated with um, the fire department are not vaccinated. So he's basically saying uh, there's about 9,000 people. If you're not from the United States, the city of New York has lots of employees, thousands, like 50,000 people work for the state of New York, for the city, rather, of New York. It's a lot. So 9,000 employees are on leave right now without pay because they are not going to take the vaccine, not going to take the vaccine. So, um, again, this is not uh, pro or anti-vax. It's just like these people are making their choices. And he's basically saying, you know, you do what I want or I'm going to fire you. Now, the the whole problem with this um, <laughs> this whole thing is it's not like the fire people and the EMS workers uh, don't have a choice. Don't have a choice. A lot of them are just walking off the job because they're going to take early retirement. Many of them are just going, I'll take a year earlier retirement. I'm just going to leave now. Um, other people are saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to take the vaccine because I already had COVID and I don't want to take it. So um, that we're going to have a court fight to not let me take it. And so I'm just going to wait that out. I'm going to take, I'm going to take vacation. I piled up a, a month's worth of vacation. So I'm going to basically just call in for a month. You can't fire me. Uh, that is happening. And guess what? What the next thing is going to happen is some of them are just going to just quit and leave the city of New York. And I'm going to tell you this. It's not like the state of Texas or other parts in the country don't need firemen and policemen. They would love to have these folks come in and live with them and come be part of them. So it's not like that you don't have a choice as an employee. You can leave. And this is what's happening. Um, a lot of companies are um, you know, there's 12,000 unvaccinated people. And, but the whole point of that I'm trying to make is, you know, their, his boss, their boss, basically the mayor of the city doesn't care. He doesn't care if you listen to the tone that he has, he's like, you're going to apply for this, uh, exemption. We're not going to give it to you. You must be, you must be vaccinated or don't show up, you know, Thank you. No thank you for, you know, standing there on 9-11. No, um, 
none of that. It's just uh, sayonara, sucker face. You're, you're out of here because you're not complying with what my imperial, you know, um, components are that I, I think are important. And, and that's what it comes down to. There's zero empathy that this man has shown for his employees. And so people are going to leave and they're not showing up and they're just saying, screw you, Mr. Mayor. And uh, we're, I'm either retiring or moving on. So this is this is the, the the movement that's happening here is that people are much more like into what the values of their job are. Uh, what how do I you know what is the value that this uh, job is giving me? Is it just money or prestige, or is it giving me a better lifestyle? And so and that's a big part of the transition that's happening overall in the economy uh, with uh, other folks that have different values than baby boomers and and Gen Xers. So you have other people coming in that have you know maybe a little different value they're more about experience and they're more about uh, having a um, a higher purpose in their job other than just uh, working for a living and uh, so anyways so I guess that was an interesting one the survey that just came out basically people are still leaving their jobs because their manager sucks and it's really not it's that simple sometimes your manager just sucks and you just need to move on and uh it is, uh, my, my pastor tells me, uh, he tells us the tale or tells a little joke every once in a while of the farmer, the two farmers and the donkey. And the one, the one farmer is trying to get the donkey, um, all, you know, to kind of move, uh, out of the stall and, uh, get, we're going to hook him up to the cart. And, uh, so he, he gets the donkey out and the donkey, he hooks him up to the cart and then, then the donkey immediately sits down and, uh, like he's not moving at all. And uh, he, the donkey's not doing anything. And so the, the first farmer is like, I'm going to motivate this, um, this, this donkey. I am going to, I got, so he gets a big two by four and starts whacking the donkey over the head and just to try to get him to move. And the donkey's looking at him like, um, why are you hitting me? And I'm totally ignoring you. And I'm not, I'm even more stubborn now than before. And, um, and there you go. And the, and the other farmer, well, you know, he, he just looks at him like, you are a moron. Why are you doing that? Uh, the, the only thing that's happening is here, uh, you're not actually motivating that, that donkey. You just need to stop that because you're just annoying the donkey and you're just getting tired. That thing will never change. And that's kind of what we need to think about. Like sometimes the stuff just isn't going to change. That manager isn't going to move. The manager may be the owner of the company. It may be you if you're listening to this. Uh, the manager may be the owner and uh, the owner is not going to quit. And so it's maybe time to move on. You have a choice. You have other places and you are a valuable person. So you have all this awesome energy and experience, especially if you're listening to this podcast, because I have the coolest listeners in the whole world. And uh, there you go. And so then, uh, so then you're cool and you just go to another job. You have choices now in the market. Know your value in the market. And uh, I'm going to tell you what you're going to be, you're going to do well. Well, guess what? This is the end of the podcast. And I know you're very excited. I am too. Not to be over with, but to have this in the can. And so there you go. Number 12, number 12 in the can. Cocked and locked and ready to rock is the next one. So, so I'm just asking you to, um, you know, this podcast now is listed on, um, we're listed on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Android, we're on all the major platforms now. 
How exciting is that? I'm beginning to promote my podcast now across the uh, across the fruited plain. So uh, I just announced it last week on uh, LinkedIn. I have a pretty big following in LinkedIn. And so uh, we're going to just continue to move forward. I'm excited about all the impact and in- input that I get from you. So feel free to, you know, uh, write me a question or um, send me a, a question or anything like that. We'll answer them right on the podcast and, uh, and we'll have a good time. So Again, thank you. Have a super day. I'll talk to you later. You're awesome. You know, you are a promise. I said this in the first week. You are a promise and you are. The promise of greatness is in you. Keep going. Keep on the hustle.